Jeff Bo. I'm going to start calling you Jeff Bo. Hey, given our agenda today. That's an adult name. That is an adult name. It's it's been a week. It is Friday. We're a little late on this one. And it are we just is it part of growing up and more responsibility and things that our schedule, which so perfectly aligned for like two years, and now it's a struggle every week for us. Is the McClintock effect? We are not in sync. No, we're not. Well, and is it is it the schedule or is it generally speaking there's not much to talk about right now except for this week but this week it has nothing to do with byu but we have things to talk about that's true um if my sound is weird today i don't know where my headphones are and it's been one of those weeks that well i have co-workers who listen to the show so i probably need to be somewhat guarded but it's been one of those weeks that, uh, look, I'm not going to go find my headphones. So if I have some sound quality, I apologize, but you're going to have to deal with it. That's what you get on a free program. That's true. You want us? I was uh, paying attention today on the Twitter machine. Remember the Call Her Daddy podcast that started with Barstool? No. So it was these two girls that were basically nobodies. And... It was, I mean, it was called Call Her Daddy. They were two young, attractive girls on Barstool. You could probably fill in all the gaps necessary. There was a, it it blew up. The podcast got huge. And Barstool went into a negotiation and they lowballed them on the offer with the intent of negotiating. One of the co-hosts got super pissed and just walked away from the negotiations. The other co-host decided she would run the podcast on her own. And so she negotiated with Barstool while simultaneously working out an exclusive deal with Spotify. She got paid the big bucks, and now it's an exclusive podcast over at Spotify. And she has since taken it from two young, attractive girls talking about their sexual escapades into a like an interview podcast like a reality tv interview podcast where she's interviewing all of these women who have done different things she interviewed the real uh have you seen crap what was it called the one with anna delvey the con artist Uh, yes she interviewed the real anna delvey from prison so she's she shifted what call her daddy is it's kind of a cool podcast and uh anyway it got me excited about podcasting this morning. So I created a real agenda, but I sat there and I thought about it as I was writing this agenda. How, how can we channel the, the feelings and the excitement that led me to have a real agenda this morning? Well, we need an exclusive deal with Spotify. That's when her podcast became legit is when it became somebody was paying her to do this. Folks, if you want legit every week and a, an actual cadence, we need more money. That's it. Uh, so you, you give us the, what was this, call me daddy money or the Joe Rogan money, Spotify. You're throwing money around at this podcast. Give us some, or we can take this exclusively to Twitter spaces, Elon, right? I know Anybody. I know the manager of your family office is a BYU alum. We figured oh. that out. So if you are Elon's legal person and you happen to be a listener of the show, I don't know how many listeners we have in Texas, but maybe I'll be able to narrow it down. The yeah. 
reach out to us, sponsor the show. You know, we will, I, I can just, be bought. Uh, yeah. I just think we're at a time. It's time for us to get compensated for this, you know, like it's a labor of love. Neither one of us are ever going to leave our jobs to go into podcasting, though I would expect that both of us would, but we're not going to do that. But man, you know, I think it's getting harder and harder. And this is not like the end of time. We're not killing, give them hell, bring them. But it is getting harder and harder to do the things that we do for absolute peanuts. It will, and it's it's not hard during the season because there's always storylines. There's always things. It's just like you think of your general fandom and the offseason being a grind. And it's really hard for grind, and which is purposely why we – do not 100% focus on BYU sports. Like that's why we talk about food. That's why we talk about random stories. We talk about college football at large. We talk about random business things. Like we purposefully and intentionally gave ourselves a wide range of off-season topics to shoot the shit about because we don't want to be locked in. Yeah. And so, so that is that. If this, all this was this, a long... All of this. Suffice to say, we need more money, folks. And so, so and this so isn't here, this isn't how- really. We need more money. There is. We have. We've talked about this on the Discord a little bit. You and I have a top secret project that we are working on uh-huh. with a few people, and getting this off the ground requires a decent amount of legal fees for incorporating. And like, there's a bunch of legal stuff that we got it that we will soon incur that costs money. So you are not really though, if this does get off the ground and goes bonkers, like the way we think it has the potential to, then we can quit and make podcasting a full-time that we could do a freaking daily show as part of that business. Yeah. So it buys in. And, and, and even if that totally flops and we never make a dollar, I'd still like compensation for, you know, what we do every day. So here's the thing, folks. There are ways that you can give us money. And I know that this feels like begging, and maybe we are. It isn't about raising our subscriber fees to the Give Them Help Brigham VIP uh, newsletter. We're not going to do that. We're going to keep the fees the same. Although apparently in this inflation environment, whether you're actually incurring additional costs or not, you can just send an email to your customers and say, we're doubling your payments because inflation and everybody just is like, oh yeah, inflation. And we're all cool with that. So maybe we should do that, but we'll, we'll look at that another day. Tell your friends, please, please, please. Let's, let's build our community. We have three months and three and a half months until the season starts. Is it not our responsibility, not you and me alone, Garrett, our collective give them hell, bring them listenership responsibility to have the best BYU community before the season starts? That is our responsibility, yes. So everybody, take with this. This is your commission. Please, we all must build the community for the sanctity of BYU football, right? We need to build a community. Garrett and I have talked about doing some things at away games doing some things at home games, doing some different kinds of cool things, but it all requires capital and it's all good stuff. 
it's all right. good. And, and that's really kind of what we're getting at and that you and I have talked about this of like, oh, do we want to go to, you know, do we want to put on a live event or have the podcast pay for us to go to an away game, book a space to host an event, whatever, make it a fun thing. Like that's part of the community. And if we do that, I'm speaking for both of our wives. It will not go over well if we spend the, I don't know, like 3,500 bucks or whatever that it would cost for both of us to fly to Tampa, book hotel rooms, book car, book a place for us to host a get together, pay for all of the food for everybody and to hang out with a bunch of random people on the internet. Like, you know, that costs 2,500, three grand. Like that's not going to go over well. An idea we haven't discussed. I wonder if we could just call it a linger longer and go to the local Tampa cultural hall at the steak center. Yes. Or what if we tell somebody, you know, what if we pretend that somebody died and then the Relief Society Ooh. just brings a bunch of food? Ooh, okay. So we've got options. But yes. if you don't want us to manipulate the kindness of our fellow members of the church, uh, then please. Tell your friends. Let's help grow this community. Uh, you called me Jeffbo at the beginning of the show. The real name is Jimbo, and Jimbo is an adult. That's maybe the most important part of anything we're about to discuss. Jimbo is an adult named Jimbo. He is a grown-ass man. My wife had braces for like a couple of years, a year, I don't know, while we were married. I was married to an adult with braces, and it felt weird. Jimbo is an adult named Jimbo that goes around introducing himself as Jimbo every day of his life. Imagine, imagine hopping onto a Zoom meeting. You just started a new job. Imagine new job, new company. You sit down and they say, okay, we have a new employee. Would you like to introduce yourself? And you say, hi, team full of executives and college graduates and all of these intelligent data analytics people. My name's Jimbo. You know, I thought about that actually the other day. I saw there's a uh, in, there's a TikTok account, Tar Hill Farmer. I don't know if you follow him. He's know. just he's this farmer who lives in North Carolina, and he he's a big old boy, and he always wears overalls. And I just thought uh, yes. is, is and he like makes jokes about the South and how everyone knows everybody in a small town, whatever, blah blah blah. So. I thought about this as I saw one of his TikToks the other day that, you know, me, I was two weeks ago, I was at my company's headquarters in San Francisco. I work for a Silicon Valley tech company with the headquarters in San Francisco, blah, blah, blah. How hilarious, like out of place would it be? Like, I should just go like, say I could have said I had a nickname and just like show up wearing muddy work boots and a pair of overalls and a flannel shirt and just be like, yeah, this is. That's how I work. Like, this is how uh, life is outside of San Francisco. So, but yes, Jimbo. The thing is, like, you think you hear the name Jimbo and you think he'd be from the South, but he's from West Virginia, which is kind of like the South's armpit. I mean, it's not South in well, terms of geography, but it's South in terms of way of life. I mean, no, it's the the whole reason West Virginia exists is because. They split off from Virginia during the Civil War because they were not down with slavery. So, well, I, okay, fine. But, but it's, today. I mean, Appalachia is it's I, Appalachia is not the, like 
that's it it's its own weird breed of thing we've talked about this before there's different between hillbillies and rednecks and whatever like west virginia is just it's it's just west virginia they really like, are. that's fair it is not northern it is not southern it is just west virginia but jimbo fisher if you've been living under a rock jimbo fisher well nick saban went off about nil and he said like that basically called out and said that there are problems and said that well, one, he said that AM supposedly paid all their players a million dollars or whatever, well, wait, which wait, is wait. funny because so that original verbiage, rumor. Though, Garrett, the verbiage is important. He said he bought the players. He bought the players, yes. And this wasn't some off-the-cuff thing. Like, he was at some golf tournament or whatever that had multiple media available. Like, he repeated yeah. this story, like, three times. Yeah. Right. This is – it's similar to how he – like he made similar comments like a few years ago about like how he's worried about pace of play causing more injuries, right? Where it's just like he's flexing muscle, trying to put this out there, speak to it. He says that Alabama has never done that, which is BS. And then he also, he talked about how there's money that Deion Sanders was involved because that, uh, what's his name? Travis, I don't remember his last name. The kid who's the number one overall recruit in the country last year signed with Jackson state to play for Dion. And he's like, he paid a million and a half dollars. Like one who cares NIL, that's the way it works now. And yes, people are paying stupid amounts of money and just like the portal, everyone went into the portal and now it's starting to slow down because people are starting to see that, Hey, like half the kids that went into the portal didn't end up with a landing spot. So you're seeing fewer and fewer people go into the portal because they realize the grass is not on the green side. Like once a few of these kids, it flops, the NIL money will come back down to earth and come back down to reality. And we also don't know, like no one knows really what the numbers are. Like when people are like, Oh, USC is paying Jordan Addison $3 million. No, they're not. They're like, they're not They're He's going to get a good chunk of money, but he's not going to get that much. Right. Like, and it's the, the whole Texas A&M bought all of their players by paying, you know, they got the number one, like, yes. Is there money floating around? Definitely. Like A&M got the number one recruiting class the year. And I own the thing, like the number one recruit is suddenly going to Jackson state. Like obviously Dion is building something in Jackson state with recent like social events. Like there's a lot of kids that are like, Hey, maybe I do want to go to an HBCU. Like that's great. But still having, there's probably a little nudge in there, right? But the rumor that Texas A&M paid over a million dollars per recruit to buy their class started on an Oklahoma message board from a user named Slice Bread. And Which now Nick Saban. Got a shout out in, in both of the press conferences. Right. Hey. Yes. And so maybe like it really, I don't know, it was like the back and forth, but the so Nick Saban said, you know, I think NIL there needs something needs to change. I don't know what it is. He was like, I think it's great that the players are getting compensated, whatever, but it's it's the Wild West, something needs to tone down, whatever. And then Jimbo went on full rant, like talking about Nick Saban's mom, his dog, like his pastor, literally everyone within the circle of Nick Saban was doused in gasoline and hit with a flamethrower by Jimbo Fisher. They were both right. I mean, here's the thing is they were both right. Now, I, I mentioned the specific verbiage of bought his players because that was part of what set Jimbo off. One, uh, we can't refer to these athletes as property that we've bought. That should make all of us feel pretty icky. Like we bought 
Kingsley Suamataya. That's no, 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 no. We we need to change that verbiage right quick. Uh, but that's part of what set Jimbo off. So Jimbo goes off, and 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 I think justifiably so, uh, to defend his recruiting staff. But he's very careful as he does this. He says, uh, my assistant coaches are above board. We complied with the laws of Texas. He doesn't say anything about denying even the amounts of money that these players got. He talks about a little bit in this press conference. He talks about the, if you watch the press conference, if you only watch the highlights, you're not going to hear this. If you watch the presser, he's asked about collectives and Jimbo's very quick to defend or to deflect, not defend, to deflect and say, I don't know what they do. We didn't break any of the laws of Texas. And I think that's important because it's, it's, it's almost like a Joe Paterno thing, right? These collectives, that's where this shady shit that Saban is talking about, that's where it all goes down, is inside these collectives. And Jimbo probably doesn't know what those collectives are doing. Alabama has their own collective, and Saban probably doesn't know the specifics of what that collective is doing and how much these players are getting paid and what the true pay-for-play structure is of these collectives. But rest assured, it's happening. It's happening everywhere. Josiah Alec is a player that, a basketball player out of like Kansas City Community College that BYU was recruiting. He was considering BYU. He was considering Clemson. I want to say Oklahoma, maybe Virginia Tech. There were a handful of, of P5 level schools. He ended up signing a deal with New Mexico. Like, come on, guys. Like, let's let's look through here. We we know what's happening. We heard it straight from Antoine Davis, right? Like he went to the portal with the intention of getting paid. That was why he went. And then he ended up going back to Detroit Mercy on which is not a WNBA team, not a WNBA team, not a G league team. He went back to the, to the mercy, the mercy as if that's their mascot. He went back to Detroit mercy uh, after he got glow balls to give them a bunch of money to sell their balls. So these collectives and these deals are happening. Pay for play is absolutely happening. So Saban's right in that regard. But Jimbo's also right in that we didn't break any laws. We didn't do anything wrong. So herein lies the problem. Now, there's two directions that this Jimbo versus Saban conversation that we're, we're going to talk about. One of them is, is Saban and Jimbo and the dynamic. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But the other one is this NIL, the, the overall NIL structure. These collectives, like if you haven't seen Friday Night Lights, Go watch a few episodes of Friday Night Lights and get to know Buddy Garrity. This is a it's a, a fictional high school, you know, rooted on some true stories, but a fictional high school series started as a movie, whatever. Watch the series. Buddy Garrity is the leader of the booster club at this Texas high school, Dillon High School uh, for the boosters, for their, for their football team. And they will do weird things. They will set up fake homes in order to get a player to fit within the boundaries of the school. They will set up jobs for parents. They will find ways to get the players that they want inside their football program. These collectives are doing that 
at a bigger level and under the umbrella of NIL for their recruits. That's absolutely happening. And pay for play is absolutely part of it. Now, there are some players, like let's take a Kingsley Suamatayu. He transferred from Oregon. Oregon immediately went to him when he said, I want to go into the portal. Oregon went and offered him a bunch of NIL deals and said, hey, look, we can get these NIL deals. He was a current player on the roster. That's fine. Totally fine. But when he hit the portal, there were a number of coaches that reached out to him and said, hey, look, we're going to put together these packages for you. That's pay for play. Hey, come sign with Texas. I don't know. Pick a school. Come sign with Alabama and you're going to get these NIL deals. That's pay for play. Now, he came to BYU for reasons outside of money, outside of NIL, blah, blah, blah. But on NIL was then quickly attached to Kingsley, right? As soon as he came to BYU, he announced an NIL deal and everybody, specifically our friends 40 miles to the north of BYU, said, oh, well, look, that's what's happening. They paid for Kingsley. That's not what is happening in every circumstance. But that temptation is out there for every player, and it's only getting worse as players sign. As Jordan Addison goes from Pitt to to USC, yeah, the collective was there. The collective was involved. Other collectives have seen that it worked. That's going to continue to happen. So the collectives aren't inherently the problem, but they are a problem. And in my mind, what makes the collectives dangerous is that they're involved with recruiting and the combination of the transfer portal with immediate eligibility. When I think of what is happening and I look at like Jordan Addison at Pitt, it's like, uh, I, I think of Seinfeld. Remember when Elaine is hosting the charity event and she's auctioning off dates with the men and Kramer gets involved. That's what the transfer portal has become is whether it's Antoine Davis from Detroit Mercy or it's a Bolitnikoff winner and Jordan Addison from Pitt, they're going to the portal and saying, okay, I'm open for business, bid. And in a lot of cases, they're going to the highest bidder and they're eligible to play immediately. That's the problem. So you've got these collectives that are gathering pools of money in the name of we want our football team to be good. And you've got this immediate eligibility and this platform built that says, hey, we are openly inviting all of you to go find your market value and to take it, seize it, and, and there's no punishment for leaving. There's no anything. Well, what, what, what the heck is supposed to happen? Of course, that's the, this is the environment that the NCAA has created. These are the problems. There's other problems, but those are the two big problems that Jimbo and Saban Saban was calling out directly. Jimbo was kind of defending, but also deflecting that these two things are a problem. How do you fix this? I don't know. It's, I mean, it will largely, I think, will fix itself. I think so, too. I think so, too. I I had a conversation with, uh, uh, with a friend of mine at a Big 12 school, works in their recruiting department. And I asked the question, I was like, dude, so what's going to happen if, you know, so-and-so recruit doesn't pan out and he's got this big, long, uh, you know, contract with five or six different companies and all of this stuff is getting paid. What's going to happen if he doesn't, if that player gets benched, if that player decides to transfer or if that player gets hurt? And, and this friend of mine, he said, yeah, there's no recourse 
Like these contracts can't stipulate or, or they don't stipulate uh, the number of games played. Now, some of them, it sounds like they're able to work in like a proximity clause that uh, we're going to pay you for your services in say college station, but we can't, if you transfer and you're playing in Palo Alto, then you're outside of our service area. Therefore the contract is void. Right. If you're a local business, right. Yeah. So there's, there's some proximity clauses in but yeah, if you're, you're getting a recruit and you're paying and expecting, you know, as the business owner that this guy is going to be the starting quarterback and the coach decides to bench him for whatever reason, you have no clawback clause. There's no, there can't be because then you immediately get into pay for play. Right. And so my friend at this big 12 school, he said, yeah, uh, I think business owners are going to, everybody's excited right now after a year or two and after some of these big name players flop i still do not hurt. understand how quinn ewers is tied with vince young as the highest rated quarterback prospect of all time i do not see it i i also don't see it and so if he were to flop yeah what happens so there's an element of that that i do think it self-regulates but also the south right i think it regulates in the pac-12 I think it regulates in the ACC mostly. I think Ohio State and Michigan, they're honestly, I think they're playing kind of by the books as much as by the books are, right? I think the Big Ten will regulate. Football's different in the SEC, man. Football's different in the state of Texas. So those half, you know, half the Big 12 and the SEC, I don't know that it regulates itself because you've got a ton of money down there. And you've got diehard football fans that, okay, we paid for one player to come and he didn't work out. We'll just pay for the next one. You know, Eric Dickerson got his Trans Am and it wasn't like Texas A&M stopped giving away cars after Eric Dickerson went to SMU. They still bought cars. They still played dirty. And so I don't know how it regulates in those football crazed areas of the country. Yeah, I, it definitely, it will though. At some point, it will settle down. There are some other things like the NCAA is, it, there's some things that people are freaking out about and it's like really stupid. Like they're talking about getting rid of the cap on only signing 25 guys and not being able to oversign. Like that's, that's, only, that's already, already. Well, done. they, oh, they, oh, it's going to be like the transfer. They said it's for the next two years, but then they're going to end up doing it forever. Right. That's only been around for like five years anyway. Right. Alabama used to sign 30 guys and then like five of them wouldn't end up enrolling or whatever. Like, and, and, and you know, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's important to talk about why did that rule have to be removed? I guess. Why did the limit have to be removed? Because schools like Arizona state, that their players are running as fast as they can to the transfer portal. And Arizona state has like 50 scholarship guys, they could sign a full class and they still wouldn't have 85 scholarship players. So that's why this has to be built is because, okay, you've got schools like ASU that they're going to have to sign 40, 40 players just to get to the 85. Well, and when you have 25, you're capped and that includes transfer players. Like that's initial guys that are starting in your school. So if you have, if you're a player where there's a coaching change late or you decide in may like hey this isn't where i want to go your options are very limited because not it's like a school may have a slot on their 85 scholarship limit 
but they can't sign you because they already signed 25 guys. So now it's like you are good enough to play at a bunch of places, but you don't really have options because there are not openings available. Do you want to hear something that I think is kind of ironic in all of this? Just as we're talking about it, I thought of, I thought of this. Uh, the transfer portal and immediate eligibility punished programs like Arizona State harder than the NCAA punished Penn State for allowing Jerry Sandusky to do his thing. Yep. Like the transfer portal, about 40 guys leave, and they're handcuffed for the 2022 season and how they're able to sign players to fill out their roster. They have essentially scholarships taken away from them. Penn State had like, what did they lose? Like eight scholarships or something like that. Like it wasn't very many. And they let sexual assault for minors go unreported for decades. Yeah, let's see. What was it? Um, and it was like phase. Maybe it was only like five. I can't remember. But there was like a, a scholarship restriction that phased out over three years. And that's why everybody looked at. Uh, okay, so initial. It was five years probation, four-year postseason fans, um, vacating all wins from 1998 to 2011, 112 wins at all. So also removed their 2005 and 2008 Big Ten titles, which is so stupid because vacated wins, like no one enforces that. So you you claim it. Um, It also removed 111 wins from Paterno's record, $60 million fine. A loss of 40 initial scholarships from 2013 to 2017. During the same period, Penn State would be limited to 65 scholarships. Um, so they lost 10 scholarships a year, 10 initials a year. They could only, from 2013 to 2017, they could only sign 15 players instead of 25. And then, oh, but then they rescinded some of them um there are so many of the sanctions announced that penn state scholarships would gradually be restored right uh till until the number 85 for the 2016 first year of the postseason ban and then a year later on 2014 they announced that penn state would be eligible for the 2014 postseason and all scholarships would be restored in 2015 yeah, so the ncaa so, just rolled it back right so they had one year of being really limited right and so yeah i mean the transfer portal punished herm edwards unofficially more than they punished Penn state. So Herm Edwards hosts some visits during COVID restrictions. Again, breaking the rules, his coaches get fired or let go. Um, anyway, transfer portal, they, they're down to like 50 scholarship players or something like that. So there's lots of NIL things. There's lots of problems. I actually posted a newsletter just this morning on the three biggest problems that I see and the three solutions to those problems that I see. Uh, go check that out. Give them hellbrigham.com. Subscribe to the newsletter. It is a freemium newsletter, meaning we have a paid model and a free model. Uh, there are VIP newsletters. There's the VIP Discord chat. That's what your $7 a month gets you. If you pay for the premium model, if you just want our free newsletters, the majority of them end up being free. You still get the podcast. It's still great. If you'd like to contribute more to the Jeff and Garrett campaign to take over college football, there's a tip jar. that it's you can Buymeacoffee.com slash G-E-H-B. There we go. Buy us a bunch of coffee. We say thanks for obvious reasons. 
The other dynamic of this Jimbo versus Saban blow up is that apparently these two coaches who you would have thought based on what we see on the, on the surface, these two coaches were friends. They respected one another. Turns out these two coaches kind of hated each other. And it's kind of been, this blow up has been brewing for nearly 20 years since Jimbo Fisher was Saban's offensive coordinator back at LSU. And there's a great article in the athletic that was published this morning uh, talking about their time at LSU. And, and I, I, I wanted to single out one thing, not because I wanted to dig more into Jimbo V Saban, but because of the working conditions and the environment and the expectations that Saban had on his assistant coach, uh, all of his assistant coaches. There's one paragraph that I want to read and it says, Assistants had to be there before Saban and were expected to be there until after he was gone, there being the football offices. It was a constant grind of recruiting and coaching. And then they'd sit in the film room after practice as Saban listed all the things that could be corrected or, or improved upon. One assistant coach said his son played high school football in Baton Rouge and he saw him play a total of one and a half games because he was an assistant coach working for Saban. That's a grind. You know, there's this, there's this idea that, uh, and, and it's addressed in this article, that Nick Saban pushes his guys out after a couple of years because you, you learn so much and he wants to extend his coaching tree and da-da-da-da-da. That's not true, according to this article. Two years is about all anybody can handle. I'm a banker. I'm a finance guy. A lot of people graduate college with their accounting or their finance or their business degrees, and they get jobs at Goldman Sachs. And typically, the Goldman people who start their career not making any money, you can obviously be very, very successful at Goldman. But the entry-level type Goldman people, they work there for two to three years. They get that experience on their resume, and then they get the hell out of there as fast as they can, and they go find some work-life balance. So funny thing about Goldman, did you know that if you are at Goldman – your overtime is paid at half time. <laughs> like you, you don't get time and a half. <laughs> you get half as long because it's legal. It's, I mean, it's probably different in, uh, it's probably different because I don't know in California, but it's, I think as long as it's like, that's part of your agreement and you're making over a certain amount of money. I mean, it's like the halftime. It's not like you're, you're making below minimum wage. Right. But it's, oh, it, it's to discourage people from trying to milk overtime. That's funny. Now they hire just a lot of people to be salaried employees anyways. So yeah. goodbye overtime. But point being Nick Saban is Goldman Sachs of college football. That's a grind, man, that you got to be there before the boss. You got to stay until after the boss leaves he also would hold the morning, every morning, he would hold recruiting calls. And it sounded, according to the article, it doesn't specify this, but it kind of sounds like it's every day, regardless of whether it's recruiting season, evaluation periods, in the season. Like he would have a recruiting call with all of his assistants every morning. And it would all be done in his office. And if you weren't there, you had to call in to, into his office on, you know, to the bridge line and have this call about who you were recruiting, how things were going every day. Very regimented, very much a grind for coaches. It was tough. Now, let's think about BYU. Kalani's not that way, right? Like, 
Uh, Josh Hewitt came from UNLV as the equipment manager at BYU. He replaced Billy Nixon when Billy Nixon was promoted to the director of football operations. And his wife had a, a post after uh, Josh was announced, and she said, hey, yeah, we get to have Sundays off with our family and some Saturdays during the offseason. And we're going to have more time to see dad. Like it was a recruiting pitch. I don't think that, that that's necessarily wrong. I don't think that the Nick Saban way is the only way, but clearly he's successful in what he's done. He's winning a lot of games. Is that a trade-off that you as a fan are willing to make? Like, do you want BYU, do you want Kalani to be known as this regimented, strict, hard-ass that people hate working for, but BYU's winning games? Or, or does BYU have a greater reputation to uphold? And that's really what matters. And I think that there's kind of, that, that, that question isn't as easy to answer as it might seem on the surface, because man, I love winning games, but holy cow. Like, I don't, I don't know if I want BYU to be known as the one that is forcing people to work for 20 hours a day, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't really care either. I mean, it's, you got to find the balance. Like, obviously it coaching is a grind. Um, you know, it is during the season, you're hardly seeing your family. It's, you know, then it ebbs and flows. And then during the off season, you know, the hours are much better, but it's still, but also it's like, I don't, I also don't like just as a leader. I mean, obviously what Saban does works and people do it, but just as a leader, I do not like holding people to standards that I do not hold for myself. That bothers me. Right. Right. Words. You got to be here before me and be here after me. And I'm going to kind of, and I'm not saying he's saving, you know, kicking it back and taking it easy, but he's taking it easier than what he's expecting everyone else to do. And that bothers me. Right. And I, I don't like that style. And so, yeah, like if that means we will never win a national championship because we're not willing to, our coaches aren't willing to like, but like sell before, their- before Bronco got married, he said like, he didn't even go home. He would just, he slept on a cot in his office on campus. Like, no, I don't, you shouldn't care that much. That's not something I would expect. Yeah. It, it's bananas when you really start to think about it, that that's, that's the level of work that these SEC schools, and maybe I shouldn't even say that, that Alabama is, is putting in. And, and maybe you can take and say, uh, Kirby Smart, he's a you know he's an Alabama, he's a Saban disciple. Saban's defensive coaches had it a lot easier than Saban's offensive coaches have had over over history. So maybe maybe Georgia's that same way. You know, Jeremy Pruitt at uh, at Tennessee got fired, but he seemed like he was that kind of guy too. Uh, Will Muschamp maybe as well. It hasn't always been successful, right? Like Kirby and, and Saban, clearly they've reached the pinnacle of the profession. But Jeremy Pruitt sucked. Will Muschamp sucked. So it is about finding that balance and finding what works for you and your environment. I also don't think that uh, you could do that in Provo, Utah, and get away with it because people would, would call you out on it in Provo. But in Alabama and Tuscaloosa, it's win at all costs. Nobody else, you know, nobody cares about anything else. Right. Uh, something else is dead. 
we have this is a real agenda I'm, I'm the more i look at this agenda I'm, I'm very proud of this agenda we were prepared today uh the alliance remember the alliance i don't rem well i remember it but i don't remember it ever meeting anything but yes the alliance between the acc the big 10 and the pac-12 yeah which was going to cut out the big 12 and make them a g6 conference and uh, it's the dead big the make-believe hand-holding that we are one and and it meant nothing but there were supposed guarantees of scheduling arrangements that the big 10 and the pac-12 and the acc would have guaranteed non-conference games with one another so it sounds like it's dead i mean it's not dead but it's pretty much dead uh there was an article and you know it's a good article when I am recommending that we all click a link to, that directs us to rivals, I'm anti-rivals. I always have been anti-rivals since I worked there. Uh, but there was an article on the Purdue Rivals site where they interviewed Purdue's at Purdue. Purdue sounds weird. It's one of those words that if you say it too many times in a row, it starts to sound like a made-up word. Uh, but Purdue's athletic director, Mike Bobinski, was interviewed, and he, he talked about the alliance, and he talked about scheduling and, and where things go in the future. And, and one thing he mentioned was nine games, nine game conference schedules, that that's going to be a thing for the foreseeable future. And he talked about the SEC with the additions of Oklahoma and Texas. They're probably going to go to a nine game schedule, too. He even he even thought that they could potentially go to a 10 game schedule, which is a little bit crazy. Pac-12 is already at a nine-game schedule. I think we as Big 12 fans probably need to prepare ourselves for a nine-game schedule. Um, all of that just limits the opportunities for this alliance to supposedly play games with one another. Right, because so they are limiting. So if you play a nine-game schedule, they're going to – they're all the Big Ten teams. They're going to play an FCS game. There's a 10th game. They are going to play a regional G5 game. Yep. There's an 11th game. So then they are potentially having one more high G5 or an one out of conference P5 opponent, and they are not going to wrap that up every single also with the Big Ten has 14 teams and the ACC has 14 and a half team or yeah, 14 and a half teams with Notre Dame and the Pac-12 has 12 teams. There's no way to just like magically schedule all of that. So right. well, it's Ohio done. Ohio State is never going to say, or Michigan is never going to say, "Hey, we're content to never play Tech or to never play Texas, to the, never play Notre Dame." The funniest thing from this article, let me pull it up here. It was um, oh, that's not the window I had. Um, was that he was like, "I don't know how you." Oh shoot, where did I put our agenda? We got too many windows. Um, he said, "I don't." Uh, here he goes. He says the SEC is going to expand. They've been at eight conference games for a long time. Lots of speculation. I think rightfully so coming out of their conversation that that's not where they're going to be going forward. They're going to be at nine or maybe even 10. So I think nine is a sure thing. If you've got 16 teams, if you only play eight, you got half the league. You don't even see right now with the SEC at 14 teams, Texas A&M and Georgia have been in the league together for 11 years and played each other one time. You don't yeah. see each other as it is. So that's stupid. And it, the whole thing of what there's what everyone's saying is like going to pods is you see each other. If the SEC splits into like splits into pods and whatever and cycles through, then you end up creating where 
you have um like you rotate through everybody every two years so yeah. so it's every four-year cycle you're playing every school twice and if you really wanted variety instead of going home to home and back-to-back years just like alternate the rotation so it's like in years one like you'll play a team in year one at home and you're three on the road and then you're two at home and you're four on the road and then that way it's like you basically have an independent schedule where you have like your three protected rivalries and then you every year, like there's a ton of variety and that's what fans want. I could see the ACC um, going to 10 games just because they're like, well, we're the ACC. We don't need to like do anything else. But I also think they will try, they may go to nine if they just can't make it work otherwise, but I could also see them just trying to push and go to like staying at eight because they like beating up on other conferences and they like saying, Hey, the ACC is a grind in enough itself. Yes. That, like we, the SEC, that we can just coast on our non-conference games, like get whatever, but I would personally, I want to see it standardized where it's eight conference games two like just across the P five, like say eight conference games, two P five non-conference games, one G five non-conference game. And then one FC or, and then one either like flex game. It's like, if you want to do an FCS game or another G5 game or a third P5 game, whatever, but it's like, give me 10 P5 games this season. And where it's like, you have two non-conference games and it's like, yes, that it's going to take you like 40 years to cycle through everyone. And you're not going to play everybody, whatever, but it's like, that gives fans enough variety that it's, you know, you're not, going to like it gives fans enough variety that you're constantly getting to see new people on your schedule it would be cool i don't think it's gonna happen it's not gonna happen i think nine games is gonna be the the new standard um but they talked about the alliance in this article and so the babinski mike babinski the ad at purdue talked specifically about the alliance because there were supposed to be kind of what you just described right there's supposed to be some guaranteed non-conference games And I'll just read directly from the article again. Uh, Last August, the Big Ten joined forces with the Pac-12 and ACC to form the Alliance. And the Alliance is capitalized as if it's a proper noun, the Alliance. Described at the time as a collaborative approach surrounding the future evolution of college athletics and scheduling. But nothing substantive has come from the union. And certainly any notion of Big Ten schools redoing non-league schedules to work in ACC and Pac-12 schools or falling back to eight-game league schedules to accommodate non-conference games with the ACC and Pac-12 appears to be folly. The alliance is not dead, said Babinski. There will still be things that we collaborate with those leagues on because we share a lot of the same thoughts and values and philosophies. But I don't know that you're going to see anything substantive in, in terms of scheduling because there's just not that much room in your schedule to start to carve out guaranteed games against other leagues. Among the power trio of leagues, the Big Ten has the most reason to move cautiously and with prudence. It sounded good in concept, said Babinski. If there was more room and flexibility, yeah, that sounds great. But at the end of the day, the Big Ten, I think, by everyone's estimation, we had more at risk than the other two leagues in terms of adjusting our plan and our schedule to fit them in. We've intentionally slowed that one down and everybody understands. They all get it. They all understand that we've got a lot more on the table than they do in terms of media rights, uh, media rights deals and other things. So the Alliance isn't dead, 
But Mike Babinski, freaking Purdue, just went to the alliance with a five iron and hit it right square in the forehead. It's dying. It's bleeding out. And Utah fans are probably going to say, no, it's still good. He didn't say it's dead. It's dying. It's dying. One time, one time I was pheasant hunting and we were walking up this ditch bank and this fox jumped out. And as any hunter knows, you shoot fox just the same way you'd shoot a pheasant because the fox eat the pheasants. We were on the farm anyway. So we shot the fox, but fox are smart, right? Like they're, they're quick. They're hard to, they're hard to shoot. Uh, and it got away from us just enough. And maybe this is going to make me sound very sadistic, but here we are. It got away from us just enough that we were, we were walking the ditch to hunt pheasants. We only had shotguns. We definitely injured the fox. We didn't kill the fox, but it, it was going to die. And the fox, as we finished out our hunt on the ditch for the pheasants, the fox slowly crawled its injured self into its fox den where presumably it died. And, you know, RIP to the fox. Uh, we went back later on and did confirm the fox was dead. So that's great. I think that that's where this alliance is. They've been shot. They're crawling to their den where they can die how they want to die. But as hilariously as it started, the alliance is ending. The alliance is ending, and we hardly ever knew thee. We didn't. We really didn't know anything about him. I yeah. I it was really obvious from the beginning. Honestly, the like if you went on the CFP Reddit, people were like, "Oh, this doesn't mean anything. This is stupid. Whatever." I and obviously this is biased because of the people that I see online, and there's a sample selection bias, but. The only people I ever saw that cared about the Alliance were Utah fans. Yeah, they were the only ones. <laughs> I mean, I'm they sure the maybe ones. there's someone more else out there, but I never came across You have them. to give Utah fans credit, and, I, 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 and this is going to sound facetious, but I'm being serious. More than any school in the Pac-12, Utah fans love the Pac-12. And, and I get it. That's awesome. I think BYU fans will be the same way with the Big 12 to an extent. And I actually think it's kind of cool how much they love their conference. Like we mock it, but it's kind of cool. Like they love the Pac, the Pac-12, the same way, you know, LSU loves the SEC. The difference is that the Pac-12 isn't the SEC. I mean, that's that's the difference, right? And uh, I I appreciate the way that they love, but the thing that they're loving just isn't there. And and you heard it right from Mike Bobinski. Uh, we had the most to lose in the Big Ten. He said everybody knew that. So the Big Ten is doing what the Big Ten wants to do. And the rest of the alliance, we didn't really care about you. That's just kind of the way that everybody thought it was going to go, except for people who believed in the alliance. So all, all 13 or 14 of those believers, yeah, they, they are sadly mourning the loss of the alliance. R.I.P. R.I.P. Last... Uh, we, we do have, I mean, the other news we talked about. So it's the Tennessee game is done, which is unfortunate. We're getting paid though. So I guess that's fine. But the Tennessee will not be the home opener next year um, for the 2023 season. They are playing Virginia in Nashville instead. The and, only problem I have with that is they called Virginia a marquee opponent. 
bullshit. Yeah, yeah, that was her. Um, and Arkansas, it still looks like so. Next year, our non-conference game we have SUU and Arkansas. So we got to find a third game. I think UNLV is open. Bam is open week one. The thing is, people, it it's weird. So before, we just had to worry about like, oh, we have to find weeks that always lined up. We don't have to find weeks that always line up now because there is like Kansas next year doesn't have a like week one game scheduled yet. Like it's, we can go find other games and then it's like, you can push a conference game into week one. It's just something that never happened before. Right. It was always like you play September and then conference starts in October, November, but now like Texas A&M, their first game as a member of the SEC, they made it as a conference game, whatever. So it's like, you can flex things around with with a conference and say, Hey, let's just move this up to week one to kick off the season because we want to play this game in October and your league is usually okay with it. And so it'll, we have to find a game. It's kind of annoying that it's on semi short notice. I mean, that is somewhere where we could have kept Utah state for one more year. So it is kind of annoying that it was like, we kicked Utah state off the schedule, kicked Nevada off the schedule. And then Tennessee is like, Oh, actually we're kicking you off our schedule, which is not we can't really be mad about it because it's like they had a better op they had what they feel like is a better opportunity for a different game given their constraints. So did we. It is what it is. But we got to go find another game. It's we'll figure it out. I'm not, I think you probably test. It's like I'm not gonna stress about the Tennessee game when we have the entire rest of the schedule, right? Like it's we're already looking at the best, most exciting schedule ever of being the year one in a P5 league. So don't worry about the Tennessee game. Like in any other era, that is a generational game. Like, you know, a home game when we're in the Mountain West or the WAC, we're getting a home game. You know, that's like akin to Miami rolling in, right, in 1990. But now, who cares? It's not. And so it's just different. And so go find a game. Um, We'll be there. And then lastly, before we wrap up here, um, there, Kevin Gate, which we had our uh, VIP episode last week where we talked about the coaching staff search. Um, Khalil Fennel from Louisville, he is visiting. He and his family have met with Mark Pope finally, um, but still no offer. No offer is imminent. And I think in another week or so, we will start to see it get cl- the basketball situation get cleared up one way or the other. Uh, yeah, I think so too. And my real only question at this point is not whether Kevin and the Trib were correct because clearly uh, they jumped the gun. They may end up being right, but it, I think was by pure accident that they would have been right. They got lucky. There's been no job offer. The interview just happened, blah, blah, blah. The real question I have is how the hell do we say his name? I think we've decided... It's Cahill, not Khalil. And is oh, that's it- right. It is Cahill. I was, but well, I don't Khalil know. is a much more common name. So it's- right. So I think it's Cahill, but then I also don't know. Is it Fennel or Fennel? Uh, that's a good question. Nobody knows. Nobody. Nobody knows. So we've got to learn if BYU is potentially hiring Khalil Fennel, Cahill Fennel, Cahill Fennel. Like we don't know. So if anybody can educate us on that, please educate us. If it was a Polynesian name, we'd be damn good. You know, we would we would get that pronunciation absolutely correct. Uh, but we're, we're struggling with Cahill, Fennel, or Fennel. 
So we need a little bit of an assist from uh, those parties who may or may not know. Yeah, it's please inform us, tell us, because we just, yeah, we don't know. Um, Jeff, it has been a good episode. We, I just, I still cannot believe that people think that the Alliance is dead or was not is dead was ever going to be anything yeah, like it was never not dead realistically right right, right. It, was it, was never, it was never a thing like it's as it's as real of a thing as like every time i say i'm gonna lose weight and i download like my fitness pal to start tracking my calories the alliance was as real as a jeff hansen diet great in theory never happens and nothing of note actually is produced at the end. And that's just the way the cookie the cookie crumbles. Uh, <laughs> what movie is that from? Is that Bruce Almighty, where he's like trying to make that his tagline? Um, I don't know. The, but Jeff, uh, so if yes, if you made it all the way to the end of the episode, come go sign up for our newsletter. Give them Share the podcast with your friends. Join us on our Discord. And until next week, Jeff, give them hell. Give them hell.